How's it going, food eaters? This is your host, Mel Weinstein, the self-professed prophet of processed foods, back with another episode about our industrial food system. I release a new episode at the end of every month, so stay tuned. I suggest that you install a podcast app on your media device that automatically updates with new releases so you don't miss out on any of the shows. This is episode number 36. The program for today explores an old subject, breakfast cereals. I reminisce a little about the start of the podcast and will play you a never-heard-before clip. Then I tackle the sugary realm of breakfast cereals trying to answer the question, is there a difference between eating cereal for breakfast and just downing cookies? In this investigation, I take a close look at 12 cereals that you'll likely see in your local grocery store and then categorize them as good or bad. This is a 100% free on-demand radio show. Yes, no money down, no money later, just no money at all. To keep the show unaffected and untainted, I don't ask for financial support and I don't enlist sponsors. Website and contact information will be provided at the end of the show. Well, food eaters, I am going to wax nostalgic before getting into today's commercial food investigation. Back in 2012, I first got the idea for this podcast when I started thinking about how I could share my background in chemistry and food science, as well as my interest in nutrition and processed foods, by creating a show around those topics. I searched the podcast databases to see whether such a show already existed. I didn't find any. There were scattered episodes about the commercial food industry and some exposés about particular processed foods, but there was no dedicated series. I remember at the time that I was particularly shocked and bothered by the hordes of unhealthy cereals available on grocery store shelves that were undeniably targeted towards kids a vulnerable segment of our population that had no clue about processed food ingredients and the potential hazards of many of them. They knew what looked good, tasted good, and what made them feel good, as reinforced through the heavy-handed marketing industry that got them hooked on those foods. I had first-hand experience with the products of Kellogg's, Nabisco, Post, General Foods, and the like, since I grew up in the 1950s and 1960s when most of those products were developed and commercialized. I knew the jingles that rang across the airways proclaiming the wonders of Cheerios, Sugar Frosted Flakes, Sugar Crisp, Honeycomb, Alphabets, Sugar Pops, Fruit Loops, Tricks, and Cocoa Krispies. I was one of Millions of kids eating those junky foods for breakfast, and I was an unknowing happy camper. A happy camper until I grew up and learned some things about manufactured foods and how they were addicting me to sugar and creating nutritional deficiencies. It was not a fair battle since the giant food companies had lots of money to market those products in very clever ways using attractive packaging and cartoonish mascots. I was an unwitting victim well into my upper 20s when I started asking some impertinent questions like, what is in this stuff? Fast forward to 2012 when I decided to start the podcast. The original name was The Food Ranger, 
And the intro music was the theme music from The Lone Ranger, taken from the William Tell Overture by Rossini. Here's a clip. A fiery chemist, his trusted sidekick Sue, a cloud of indignancy, and a hearty high-o nutrition facts. The Food Ranger. some memories. Originally, I talked to my wife, Sue, into co-hosting the show. I thought we would make a good team with the coupling of my science training and her literature background. Of course, I wanted the first show to be about serials. That episode never got aired for the reason you'll hear shortly. Here's a five-minute clip from the FLR Volt. Please excuse the rough audio recording. I was just getting started and learning my way around sound recording. Why are we doing this podcast? Well, first of all, no one else is doing a podcast like this. Uh, and people really do need information about what's in their food so they can make wise consumer choices. Because uh, quite frankly, the food selections uh, directly affect our health, and right now, you know, there is a significant health crisis in the United States uh, from uh, obesity issues to type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancer, etc. So we'd like to take a look at what's in commercial foods. Uh, what's, what's in those labels? You know, there are words some, that people don't even understand, for example. There are acronyms, you know, what do these acronyms mean? Are these ingredients good for us, bad for us, neutral? So these kinds of questions we're going to tackle uh, in the Food Ranger podcast. My name is Mel, and uh, I'll say a few words about my background. Uh, I <coughs> was educated uh, as a chemist. Uh, I've taught chemistry and I've worked in the uh, food industry, in the food ingredient industry, for over 20 years as a as a analytical chemist. And so I bring that background, training, and education uh, to the analysis of uh, the ingredients that are, are in commercial foods. And I have with me uh, my sidekick Sue, and Sue. Uh, Tell people what your background is. Well, I'm a retired English teacher and Mel's wife, who he roped, no pun intended, into doing this podcast with him. Thank you for that, Sue. 
Ed, I'd like to say that uh, we're going to focus uh, today's episode on cereals. Uh, and again, these are products that uh, you will find in pretty much any grocery store or even convenience store for that matter. Now, we go to a, a Kroger's uh, where we live, and it's not a superstore or anything. It's just a regular size Kroger's. And one day I was in that store, and I, was, uh, I went to the cereal aisle, and I looked down it, and of course it was packed, from, uh, the shelves are packed from top to bottom uh, with cereal boxes. And uh, for a lark, I decided that I would try to count uh, how many different kinds of cereals there were uh, on the one side of the aisle where all of the, uh, the uh, cold or you know, cold cereals were, were located. And so I'm sure the uh, the store cameras were on me and trying to figure out what this guy was doing, you know, slowly moving from one side of the aisle to the other. But I did the best I can, and uh, across all brands, uh, I counted uh, about 120 different ready-to-eat cereals. Okay, that includes all the different varieties of all the different brands. <clears throat> And of course, as I said, they covered one side of the aisle. Now, on the opposite side of the aisle, in a smaller section, uh, there were other cereals, and, and these were the hot cereals, like oatmeal, muesli, and other things. And there I found uh, about 35 cereals. Now, the store has a, another section, which is called the natural foods section. It's a separate area of the store. And so I went to that, and I did the same thing. I, I counted uh, how many cereals there were, and, and combined hot and cold cereals, I found uh, about 125. And this was in a much smaller space, too, but the thing is, you know, they, they didn't have as many boxes of each brand and variety as they did in the, uh, in the main aisle of the non-natural foods section. So that's quite a lot of cereals for one store. If you look at the total, that's like uh, about 270 cereals total in this grocery store. That is a lot to choose from. We've selected uh, just a handful uh, to take a look at specifically. The first one is a product made by the Quaker Oats Company called Captain crunch. So the first thing uh, I want to do is take a look at the ingredients label for Captain Crunch. Uh, the first thing you find in it is, well before we go to that, let's, let's, let's describe what the, what, the, what the box looks like uh, since I'm, I'm looking at it but you're not. So uh, so, Sue, could you tell us uh, what you see when you look at a box of Captain Crunch? What's your impression of it? Well, you have the 3D Captain, man in uniform, authority figure, also cartoon character entertaining for kids who appears to be leaning out from the box and reaching out toward you with a big spoonful of his crunchy cereal uh, and saluting you at the same time. Very uh, fun, very appetizing looking. You can imagine the sweet crunchiness of it. There's milk splattering around. 
Um, it, it is designed to tempt you to take a bite. Take a bite. Take a bite now. Thanks, Sue. After we completed that recording, Sue decided that she was done with podcasting. So the whole idea got shelved for about four years until the winter of 2016 when I decided to relaunch the podcast as a lone host and rebrand it as Food Labels Revealed. Now, try to guess what my first episode was about. Hmm, could it be cereals? Episode number one was called Breakfast, Kellogg's versus Mom's Cereals. I did another informal count of the cereals in Kroger's and found 248 different brands and varieties in the main aisle of the store and another 162 in the natural food section for a grand total of 410. Dang, that's a lot of cereal choices. Just from that huge number, one could conclude that cereal is really important to people. At that time, I only examined two cereals that I thought were polar opposites. That is very bad versus very good. The bad cereal was Kellogg's Apple Jacks, and the good cereal was Mom's Best Cereals Toasted Wheatfuls. Now we fast forward to today. February 2019, when I once again returned to the examination of cereals. Has anything changed in four years? From time to time, we do hear complaints from individuals and organizations about how unhealthy breakfast foods are and how they might be contributing to the rising rate of childhood obesity. Are the big food companies listening and changing their products and labels? Well, let's take a look at just one example, the Apple Jack cereal mentioned in the previous podcast. In 2012, that cereal had 22 ingredients in it with sugar leading the way. Yes, sugar was the first ingredient coming in at 35.7% by weight of the total. The second ingredient was whole grain corn flour, which is a good thing. But the cereal had partially hydrogenated oils, which contribute unhealthy trans fat, a possible cause of heart disease. Also, disturbingly, there were artificial colors like yellow 6, blue 1, and red 40, which some countries had banned. Then there was the controversial food preservative BHT, or butylated hydroxytoluene, which had also been banned in some places. Apples, which were the namesake of the cereal, were listed as the 11th ingredient, present in such a small amount that they came after salt in the ingredients list. Just a wee bit of apples for taste, I guess. Let's look at today's Apple Jacks. Sugar is no longer listed as the first ingredient. Now it comes in second. The corn flour blend is number one. However, the sugar content is still 34.5%, having only come down by 1.2%, not much of a health improvement. The partially hydrogenated oil has been removed from the cereal formulation, essentially eliminating trans fat from four years ago, which follows the dictates of the Federal Food and Drug Administration, requiring that food manufacturers stop using those types of oils 
by the year 2020. Applejack still has the questionable artificial colors, yellow 6, red 40, and blue 1, as well as the artificial preservative, BHT. Obviously, Kellogg's did not make huge improvements in the healthiness of that cereal. One of the ingredients in the old and new version is soluble corn fiber. What is that? That sound means that we have the ingredient of the day. Most of us know about the wonderful benefits of fiber. Here is what the Mayo Clinic has to say about fiber. Prevents or relieves constipation. Helps maintain healthy weight. Helps maintain bowel health. Lowers cholesterol level in blood and controls blood sugar. Also, it can reduce the incidence of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Fiber is a very natural ingredient found in many whole foods, such as grains, fruits, vegetables, beans, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Unfortunately, when whole foods, such as corn in this case, are processed in manufacturing plants, one of the first nutrients lost is the fiber. Fiber is not friendly to the manufacturing process and may adversely affect the taste and appearance of processed foods. So, for food manufacturers to tout the fiber content of their products, they often intentionally add artificial fiber. And that's what soluble corn fiber is. A very, very distant cousin of corn. To get soluble corn fiber, the protein and fat parts of the corn must be removed, leaving mainly the carb portion, which then becomes cornstarch. Then the cornstarch is broken down into corn syrup fractions. Some of the fractions are resistant to digestion, and they are separated out to produce powdered, soluble corn fiber, which then can be added to a variety of foods to increase their fiber content. So, the net result is that corn, which has natural fiber of about 2.8% is physically and chemically broken down to form an artificial additive not found in nature that provides fiber-like properties. Hmm, why not just eat the corn? Let's turn our attention to Mom's Toasted Wheat Fools cereal. It hasn't changed. There were only two ingredients in that cereal back in 2012, and today there are still only two ingredients. Whole wheat with vitamin E as a preservative. More about that cereal later. Before getting to the topic for today's show, I want to provide you with some cereal statistics, just to get a sense of how important these products are to the American food system. Here are 12 fun facts. Number one, 92% of cold cereals and 100% of cereals marketed to children in the United States contain added sugars, some having up to six different kinds, including sugar mixed with corn syrup, honey, dextrose, or high fructose corn syrup. Number two, cereals marketed to children have more than 40% more sugars than adult cereals. Number three, 8% of children's cereals contain more than two teaspoons of sugar in a single serving, more than a quarter of the daily limit for an eight-year-old kid. Number four, for 40 cereals, a single serving 
like three-fourths of a cup or one cup, less than many people typically consume in a single sitting, exceeds 60% of the daily limit for sugar. Number five, only 47 cold cereals, three family cereals, 43 adult cereals, and one granola, and 155 hot cereals had no added sugar. Number six, current dietary guidelines suggest a daily limit of 3 teaspoons or 12 grams to 8 teaspoons, 32 grams, of sugar for children who consume 1,200 to 2,000 calories depending on their age, gender, and individual needs. On average, children typically consume two or three times these amounts. If your cereal has added sugar, make sure the sugar content is no more than double the fiber content. Number seven, in a 2011 report from the Environmental Working Group, analysis of more than 1,500 cereals, including more than 180 children's cereals, showed that a child who eats a daily bowl for a year ends up consuming 10 pounds of sugar. Number eight, while cereal is a breakfast food around the world, folks in the United States can't seem to get enough of their favorite brands. Americans buy around 2.7 billion boxes of cereal each year, enough to stretch all the way to the moon and back. That amounts to about 14 pounds of cereal that the average person consumes annually. Number nine, in 2011, cereal companies shelled out $264 million on marketing campaigns geared at kids, with Kellogg's, General Mills, and Post spending the most on media advertising. Number 10, what's on the box is almost as important as what's in it when it comes to getting shoppers to buy a particular brand. A recent study from Cornell University shed some light on how a cereal's appearance determines sales. Researchers found that when the box featured a specific character, brand trust increased by 16% when the character appeared to be making direct eye contact versus looking down. Number 11. Marketing research shows that Honey Nut Cheerios continues to be the top-selling brand, with classic Cheerios landing in fourth place after Frosted Flakes and Honey Bunches of Oats. And finally, number 12, thanks to the presence of yellow number 5, red number 40, and other dyes, you won't see Fruit Loops on the shelves in the United Kingdom, Norway, Finland, France, or Austria where those dyes are banned. For today's show, I once again visited local grocery stores, namely Kroger's and Walmart, to check out the old and new cereals. Again, there were hundreds of them, but this time I didn't do a count. I was just looking to spot the seemingly healthy cereals and the unhealthy ones. For the healthier cereals, there was Kellogg's Corn Flakes, maybe the oldest manufactured cereal, at 113 years of age. Just a plain box with the drawing of a chicken on it. No cartoons. The box touted only 100 calories per serving, 0 gram saturated fat, 200 milligrams of sodium, which seems kind of high to me, and 3 grams of sugar, which is fairly low. Then there's Kellogg's Rice Krispies. The box proclaimed just 130 calories per serving, zero grams of saturated fat, 160 milligrams of sodium, 
and four grams of sugar. Splashed across the front of the box were the Rice Krispies L's, appropriately named Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Then there was General Mills Fiber One. The box advertised no high fructose corn syrup, no artificial colors or flavors. It boldly proclaimed 14 grams of fiber per serving, which is quite high for a cereal. But could you get your kids to eat those fibrous twigs? Not likely. Also touted were 60 calories per serving, zero grams of saturated fat, just 110 milligrams of sodium, and zero grams of sugar. Yes, zero grams of sugar. Wow. There were no cartoon characters on the box to entice kids, and the main attraction was the brand content. For the unhealthy cereals, there was Kellogg's Crave Double Chocolate, Little Biscuits with Chocolate-Flavored Centers, a large white-on-brown logo at the top of the box proclaims, now more chocolate. Then there's a chocolate puddle splashed across the box. To provide some semblance of caring for health, Kellogg cites the following, 120 calories per serving, just one gram of saturated fat, 95 milligrams of sodium, that's strange, that's the lowest value so far, and only 11 grams of sugar. Well, that's the highest so far. Then there's post-Oreo O's, actually named after their cookie, but the box is low-key with no funny cartoon characters, just a big bowl of chocolate donut-shaped cereal pieces floating in an artist's rendition of Splashing Milk. Again, to provide some semblance of health consciousness, Post cites the following, 120 calories per serving, 0 gram saturated fat, 150 milligrams of sodium, and only 13 grams of sugar. Well, now that's the highest so far. Lastly, there's Post Hostess Donuts, a cereal disguised as bits of pastry. The front of the cereal box is pretty plain and looks similar to the Post Oreo O's box, but it illustrates a big bowl of donut-looking cereal pieces in an artist's rendition, again, of splashing milk. To pretend there are health benefits to eating this cereal, Post cites the following. Only 150 calories per serving, only 5 grams of saturated fat, well, that's huge, 115 milligrams of sodium, and 13 grams of sugar. Now, I've always thought that cereal manufacturers purposely load some of their products with sugar to market them to kids. Obviously, that's why I liked them when I was a kid. I definitely wasn't eating the Fiber One cereal. It was really all about sweetness. Maybe the original thinking was that to get kids to eat breakfast that delivered some new nutritional benefits, the cereals had to be super sweet. But over the years, the cereals seem to get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. I assert that some of these sweet cereals are nothing more than cookies in disguise. I will attempt to prove that assertion by examining a few of the popular hyper-sweetened cereals. Now, I need some cookie as a reference, something that's popular and whose composition is similar to what's in most cereals. As long as I can remember, I've always loved ginger snaps. Still do. But I only very occasionally eat them now since they are very, they are very processed food. 
According to eatthis.com, ginger snaps are ranked at number 31 out of the 35 most popular cookies in America. Nabisco, a subsidiary of the Mondelez International Company, which is a spin-off of Kraft Foods, makes ginger snaps. These cookies have only eight ingredients, included unbleached enriched flour, sugar, vegetable oil, leavening, and salt. They make a good comparison since most cereals are composed of some type of flour, for example, wheat, corn, etc., sweeteners, oils, and salt. A serving size of ginger snaps is four cookies, which weigh 28 grams, which is in the ballpark of many of the cereal servings. The nutritional profile of the ginger snaps look like this. 2.5 grams fat, no saturated or trans fat, 190 milligrams of sodium, 11 grams of sugar, 0 grams of fiber, and a total of 120 calories. Each cookie has 39% sugar by weight, calculated by dividing the 11 grams of sugar by the serving size of 28 grams and multiplying by 100. So let's compare a selection of cereals against the ginger snap cookie. For this comparison, I'll be limiting my attention to the three standard measures of junk food, sugar, fat, and salt. And salt is expressed as the sodium content per serving. Here are 10 cold cereals and two hot cereals that I analyzed, including the sugar percentage by weight and the number of ingredients. The sugar content includes both natural and added sugars. Number one, Kellogg's Pop-Tarts Cereal Brown Sugar Cinnamon has 37% sugar and 34 ingredients. Wow, that's incredible, 34 ingredients. Note, this cereal is actually named after a toaster pastry. Number two, Post Nutter Butter. It has 38% sugar and 17 ingredients. Note, this cereal is actually named after a cookie. Number three, Nature's Path Love Crunch Organic Dark Chocolate and Red Berries Granola. That is that wins the award for the longest name of a cereal. It has 20% sugar with 18 ingredients. Number four, Kellogg's Raisin Bran Crunch. It has 24% sugar and 16 ingredients. Number five, Kellogg's Apple Jacks with 34% sugar and 24 ingredients. Number six, Kellogg's Corn Flakes. It has 11% sugar with three ingredients. Number seven, General Mills Cheerios Oat Crunch Cinnamon. There is 27% sugar in it uh, with 18 ingredients. Number eight, Mom's Best Cereals Toasted Wheatfuls. There's 0% sugar in the cereal. Oh, that's unreal. And it has two ingredients. Number nine, Kroger's Simple Truth Organic Toasted Oats. It has 5% sugar with six ingredients. Number 10, Post Hostess Donuts, or Donuts, I'm not sure how to say that. It has 39% sugar with 15 ingredients. Note that this cereal is named after a pastry.
Then for the uh, for the hot cereals, number 11, Mom's Best Cereals Old Fashioned Oatmeal with 3% sugar and just one ingredient. And lastly, number 12, Quaker Strawberries and Cream Instant Oatmeal with 34% sugar and a whopping 16 ingredients. Not surprising, the winner of the sugar contest is Post Hostess Donuts Cereal with 39% sugar content by weight. The winner of the most ingredients is Kellogg's Pop-Tart Cereal Brown Sugar Cinnamon with 34 ingredients, considerably higher than every other cereal. Now, let's get to the cookie comparison. Please stay with me since there'll be a little bit of math involved. Since serving size varies for the cereals, an adjustment had to be made for that. For example, the serving size for the Kellogg's Pop-Tart cereal is one cup or 41 grams, but a serving of four ginger snaps is 28 grams. To compare the sugar contents, I took 28 grams per serving of cookies and divided by 41 grams per serving of the cereal times the 15 grams of sugar per serving of the cereal to give 10.2 grams of sugar. I then compared that value to the 11 grams of sugar in a serving of ginger snaps. I then assigned an arbitrary score to the cereal so comparisons could be made. If the sugar content was greater than 1.25 times the sugar content in the cookie, then the cereal was given a score of 2. If the sugar content was between 0.75 to 1.25 times the sugar content in the cookie, then the score was 1. If the sugar content was under 0.75 times the sugar content in the cookie, then the score was 0. For example, using the Kellogg's Pop-Tart cereal again, the adjusted sugar content was 10.2 grams. Dividing 10.2 grams by 11 grams of sugar in a single serving of ginger snaps gives 0.93 times the sugar content. That falls between 0.75 to 1.25 times the sugar content in ginger snaps. So the Kellogg's Pop-Tart cereal got a sugar score of 1, which means the sugar contents were similar. I applied that same calculation to the fat and sodium values to come up with scores for all three components. Then I added the three scores together to get a final score. Again, using the Kellogg's Pop-Tart cereal as an example, the individual scores were 1 for sugar, 0 for fat, and 1 for sodium. So the total score was 2. If a cereal had a total score equal to or exceeding 3, then the cereal could be likened to a ginger snap cookie in terms of the sugar, fat, and sodium contents. Since the Kellogg's Pop-Tart cereal had a total score of 2, it didn't quite measure up to a ginger snap cookie. So surprisingly, it didn't make the grade as a cookie look-alike. I won't burden you with all the calculations to come up with the final scores. I'll just give you the results here. So I'll start with the Kellogg's Pop-Tart Cereal Brown Sugar Cinnamon. It had a score of 2. Not a cookie, but close. 
Next, Post Nutter Butter had a score of three, so it's like a cookie. Nature's Path Love Crunch Organic Dark Chocolate and Red Berries Granola had a score of two, not a cookie, but close. Kellogg's Raisin Bran Crunch had a score of zero, so not a cookie. Kellogg's Apple Jacks had a score of two, not a cookie, but close. Kellogg's Corn Flakes had a score of one, not a cookie. General Mills Cheerios Oat Crunch Cinnamon had a score of one, not a cookie. Mom's Best Cereals Toasted Wheat Fulls had a score of one, again, not a cookie. Kroger's Simple Truth Organic Toasted Oats had a score of one, not a cookie. Post Hostess Donuts had a score of three. It was like a cookie. Lest we think that hot cereals like oatmeal are always healthier, here are the two hot cereals that I evaluated. Mom's Best Cereals Old Fashioned Oatmeal had a score of zero. Definitely not a cookie. Quaker Strawberries and Cream Instant Oatmeal had a score of two. Not a cookie, but close. Let's pull all the data and draw some conclusions about the healthiness of these 12 cereals. I will divide the cereals into three categories. Number one, bad for you. Number two, somewhat bad for you. And number three, good for you. To assign cereals to these categories, we need to consider other factors besides just sugar, fat, and salt. For example, how many ingredients are in the cereal? There are two general rules to follow here. One, uh, the higher the number of ingredients, the worse the food. And two, specifically, the higher the number of processed or man-made ingredients, the worse the, the food. Also, for those cereals with significant fat contents, are there high amounts of saturated fat and are trans fats present? Lastly, what's the fiber content of a cereal? For a 10-year-old boy, the daily intake should be 31 grams of fiber. For a 10-year-old girl, the daily intake should be 26 grams of fiber. Then what about serving size? The serving size for most cereals is one cup, which is pretty, pretty small amount. More typically, particularly a hungry child, uh, would likely eat at least one and a half cups at a sitting. So that will be taken into consideration uh, when evaluating the 10 cold cereals. Also, I will only be looking at the nutritional considerations for the dry cereal alone without any added milk. The two cereals which were most like ginger snap cookies were Post Nutter Butter and Post Hostess Donuts. Because of that finding, they will automatically go into the bad for you category. A one and a half cup serving of each of these cereals provides 6.8 grams and 9 grams of total fat, respectively. The Hostess Donuts has a whopping 7.5 grams of saturated fat. A kid eating this cereal on a regular basis would be setting themselves up for heart disease later in life. There is only 1.5 grams of fiber in a serving of the Post Nutter Butter cereal, which provides very little towards the daily requirement. It's even worse for the Donut cereal, which has 0 grams of fiber in it. Yes, zero grams. Unbelievable. Also, there's no protein in the donut cereal. In the Nutter Butter, 
There were 17 ingredients, a high number, with over half of them synthetic. In the Donetsk cereal, there were 15 ingredients, with over half of them synthetic. Also, the number one and two ingredients were sugars. In summary, these two cereals definitely deserve to remain in the bad-for-you category and have few, if any, redeeming characteristics. Kellogg's Pop-Tart Cereal Brown Sugar Cinnamon with 37% sugar had a score of 2, making it close to a serving of ginger snaps. However, it's low in total fat at 1.5 grams in, in a 1.5 cup serving with no saturated or trans fats. The fiber comes in at 4.5 grams, which is pretty good. at 17% of the daily requirement for a 10-year-old girl. On the downside, this cereal had 34 ingredients, with over half of them synthetic. That bumps it up to the bad-for-you category. Nature's Path Love Crunch Organic Dark Chocolate and Red Berries Granola, with 20% sugar, had a score of 2, making it close to a serving of ginger snaps. The label states a ridiculously low serving size of 1 fourth cup. Who would eat such a small amount of cereal? Bumping that up to one and a half cups will change the nutritional profile considerably. Eating that amount of cereal would provide 36 grams of fat over an ounce of fat. Ouch. And that would include six grams of saturated fat. Not good. The sodium level would go up to 330 milligrams, the highest of all the cereals. The fiber, though, comes in at 12 grams, which is the most for any of the cereals. That's good. In this cereal, there were 18 ingredients. Sounds high, but only two of them are synthetic. That's good. Overall, I rate the cereal as somewhat bad for you due to the high sugar, fat, and sodium content. That's unfortunate since many of the ingredients are organic and wholesome and, and there is no added sugar. However, I would put it at the low end of the somewhat bad for you category if you only consumed about three-fourths of a cup. Kellogg's Raisin Bran Crunch with 24% sugar surprisingly had a low score of zero but the sugar content is still very high. If you ate a one and a half cup serving of the cereal, you'd be consuming 20 grams of sugar. The fat content is a low one and a half grams with no saturated or trans fat. The sodium intake would be 300 milligrams, which is pretty high. The fiber content is six grams, which is pretty decent. There's a high number of ingredients at 16, but only five of them are synthetic. Because of the high sugar and sodium content, I would bump this cereal into the somewhat bad for you category. Kellogg's Apple Jacks with 34% sugar had a score of 2. In a 1.5 cup serving, there were 1.5 grams of total fat, that's very low, with no saturated or trans fats. The sodium content was 225 milligrams, pretty high. The fiber content came in at 4.5 grams, that's good. But there were a whopping 24 ingredients in the cereal with over, with over half of them being synthetic, including artificial dyes and the questionable preservative BHT. I would bump this cereal up to the bad for you category. Kellogg's Corn Flakes with 11% sugar had a score of 1. It had 0% total fat. Great. 
The salt content was high, though at 300 milligrams per 1.5 cup serving, not good. The fiber at 1.5 grams was low. However, the total number of ingredients was only two, placing this cereal in the good-for-you category. That's interesting, since this was one of the first cereals manufactured by Kellogg's in 1906. The founder of the company, John Harvey Kellogg, was a medical doctor who operated a sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan, and he was on a mission to prepare healthy cereal foods for sick Americans. He got waylaid along the way by his brother, Will Kellogg, who was more into making a profit than selling healthy food, and eventually pushed John Harvey out of the family business. Oddly, the cornflake cereal survived into the 21st century as a pretty decent product and still competes successfully against the hyper-sweetened cereals. General Mills Cheerios Oat Crunch Cinnamon with 27% sugar had a score of 1. In a 1.5 cup serving, there were 6.8 grams of fat, pretty high, but there was low saturated fat content and no trans fat. The fiber content was 6 grams, a decent value. The sodium was high at 330 milligrams, not good. The number of ingredients was 18, with less than half being synthetic. Overall, because of the high sugar, fat, and salt contents, I place this cereal on the low side of the bad-for-you category. Mom's Best Cereals Toasted Wheat Fulls with 0% sugar had a score of 0. In a 1.5 cup serving, the sugar content was 0 grams, the fat content was 1.5 grams, and the sodium content was 15 milligrams. All excellent values. The fiber amount in a 1.5 cup serving was 10.5 grams, roughly one-third the daily requirements for 10-year-old kids. The number of ingredients was only two. This cereal is definitely in the good-for-you category, sitting at the high end. It repeats for top honors, since it was also mentioned in episode number one, as a very healthy cereal. Kroger's Simple Truth Organic Toasted Oats with 5% sugar had a score of 1. In a 1.5 cup serving, the sugar content was 2 grams, the fat content was 2.5 grams, with no saturated or trans fat, and the sodium content was 150 milligrams. All reasonable values. The fiber content was 4 grams, which is acceptable. The number of ingredients was only 6, with just 2 of them being synthetic. 3 of the ingredients are organic. Overall, this cereal gets a good-for-you designation. Looking at hot cereals, Mom's Best Cereals Old-Fashioned Oatmeal with under 3% sugar had a score of zero. For oatmeal, a more typical serving size is one half cup or 40 grams since water needs to be added to prepare the cereal. With that serving size, there was under one gram of sugar, three grams of total fat with 0.5 grams saturated fat, zero trans fat, and zero, listen to this, zero milligrams of sodium. The fiber content was four grams, a decent amount. Regarding ingredients, this cereal had only one, only one ingredient, whole grain oats. Overall, this cereal falls into the high end of the good for you category. And lastly, Quaker Strawberries and Cream Instant Oatmeal had a whopping 34% sugars in a single serving. 
and got a score of 2. The total fat was low at 2 grams with 0.5 grams of saturated fat, but unfortunately contained 1 gram of trans fat. The sodium content was moderate at 180 milligrams. The fiber amount was pretty low at 2 grams. The big problem with this hot cereal was the fact that it contained 16 ingredients, with more than half of them being synthetic, including synthetic colors or dyes. Overall, due to the sugar content and the unhealthy ingredients, this hot cereal deserved the designation as a somewhat bad-for-you product. All right, what are the take-home messages for today's show? Well, it's not breaking news that some cereals, particularly ones targeting kids, are formulated with high doses of sugar and other unhealthy ingredients. Individuals and organizations have been complaining about that issue for many years, and it's not very apparent that the cereal manufacturing companies have changed their ways. I only looked at 12 cereals out of the literally hundreds that are available in groceries, box stores, and convenience stores. My investigation focused on a question that I've had in my mind for many years. That is, is there really any difference in feeding sugar-laden cereals to kids versus just having them consume cookies for breakfast? The results show that the answer to that question depends on the nutritional profile and ingredients of each cereal. Of the cereals I examined, five fell into the bad-for-you category, three were described as somewhat bad-for-you, and four were designated as good-for-you. Of the five bad cereals, two of them qualified for cookie status based on a comparison to the nutritive values of Nabisco ginger snaps. They were post-Nutter Butter and post-Hostess Donuts, coming in at 38% and 39% by weight sugar, respectively. One has to wonder why this kind of information doesn't shock the general public because, after all, most of the people consuming these cereals are children whose health, as parents and society in general, we are supposed to care about. This is the stage of their lives as their bodies grow and mature when the nutritional value and quality of the food that's consumed matters the most. Why aren't people screaming from the rooftops, stop feeding our kids this junk? Why don't we see billboards proclaiming our outrage? There are so many reasons, not the least of which is, is how children and adults are educated about food quality. And of course, the food manufacturers have the powers of money, lobbying, and marketing. And the groceries also want to cash in on this. But we, as consumers, still have the final say with our purse strings. We could just say no. Is that easy? Well, not so much, because when we walk into a store, we see a whole lot more junky food than we see healthy food. The good-for-you cereals are greatly outnumbered. Also, there's the power of placement. I like to eat mom's old-fashioned oats all the time, but it's located at one end of the cereal aisle in the Kroger store and sits on the bottom shelf. I sometimes have to get on my hands and knees just to pick up a few containers, and generally the store does not even stock, you know, more than four or five containers at a time. Also, it's not a high-end cereal, sells for a low price, about $1.50 per container, and is not very profitable for the store, so they lack incentive to give it a prominent spot on a higher shelf. I'll leave you with these words from the book, 
Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss, which I've recommended several times in previous episodes. In the epilogue to the book entitled, We're Hooked on Inexpensive Food, he says the following, quote, If nothing else, this book is intended as a wake-up call to the issues and tactics at play in the food industry, to the fact that we are not helpless in facing them down. Some of the tricks being used to seduce us are subtle, and awareness is the key. The placement of some of the most profitable but worse-for-you foods at eye level, with healthier staples like whole wheat flour or plain oats on the lowest shelf, and the fresh fruits and vegetables way off on one side of the store, but there's nothing subtle about the products themselves. They are knowingly designed to maximize their allure. Their packaging is tailored to excite our kids. Their advertising uses every psychological trick to overcome any logical arguments we might have for passing the product by. And above all else, their formulas are calculated and perfected by scientists who know very well what they are doing. The most critical point to know is that there is nothing accidental in the grocery store. All of this is done with purpose. End quote. So, food eaters, stay aware, stay alert, read those labels, and spend your dollars wisely. Well, it's time to end the show. To all the listeners in podcast land, old and new, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you have a little more time, I'd greatly appreciate a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store. Don't forget that the references provided in this podcast are available in the show notes located at the Podbean hosting website. Lastly, I have a Facebook page that is an adjunct to the podcast. Several times a week, I post a news item related to food ingredients, processed foods, and food trends. Search in Facebook under Food Labels Revealed Podcast. Please check it out. Next month, fast food returns when I'll pit one pizza chain store against another. Until later, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is called Scheming, composed by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>